Well, when I was still a young kid, seven years old in Victoria, we used to play AFL at lunchtime at school. And uh, kids, of course, would want to come and join the game as it was going. And they would ask two questions. And I'm sure you know what the two questions are. The first one, can I play? Can I play? And of course, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And the second question, who's winning? Who's winning? People want to join the winning team, don't they? And that's usually what happened. They joined the winning team, which just meant the winning team kept winning. We all want to be winners, don't we? Sometime the kid with the ball, because the kid who brought the ball, they're the boss of the game, the kid with the ball would say, no, you have to join the other team. But not always. Now, anyway... I don't know why this was, but if I ever came late, I would ask, who's losing? And I would join the losing team. And I've got to ask myself, where did that come from? I'm a seven-year-old kid. Why did I join the underdogs? Now, I've got a couple of theories. Maybe I was pretty smart. You know, I'm, I'm pretty smart, SMRT. Um... The the logic makes perfect sense. If everyone joins the winning team, then then that's not going to work for long, isn't it? Maybe it was my ego. If I join the losing team, well, then they would start winning. Now, that's a negative way of, of looking at that because you could actually look at that more positively in that I want to make a difference. If I join a winning team, what difference is that going to make? In fact, what if they start losing? Ouch. But if I join a losing team and they start to win, then I've made a difference. Making a difference may be our ego, but it can also be a divine thing. Isn't that our purpose on earth? To make a positive difference, to bring compassion, to help, to leave the world a better place than when we found it. But for a seven-year-old child, where did that come from? What do the Jesuits say? Give me a child till they're seven and I'll show you the man or the woman. I got a sneaking suspicion that that came from my family and my faith because faith was very intrinsic to our family. I grew up with stories like today's story, you know, slaves who became a great nation, babies wrapped in rags who become the saviour, shepherd boys who become king, Jesus the son who wins by losing. I've got to think that these stories made a difference in my life. I was actually being shaped in Christ's image from a young age. I wanted to be on the side of the weak, the left out and the forgotten. I wanted my presence like the presence of God to make a difference, even if it was just aerial ping pong in the playground at lunchtime. But that's a nice place for a seven-year-old to be, isn't it? 
Now, still today, because the Aussie cricketers are so dominant, I tend to cheer for New Zealand. Alan Border is my favourite cricketer because he was the captain when Australia used to get beaten all the time. I'm involved in our community in domestic violence because I've got a compassion and a heart for those who are struggling and, and are being oppressed. And I'm seeking to help build a community hub here with God's compassion and care at its heart as we seek to be at the heart of our community. And if a vision like that doesn't make you want to sing, then God help you. Because look at the content of these readings. Moses and Miriam sing about salvation. Horse and rider thrown into the sea. Mary sings about the God who lifts up the humble and brings down the proud. These songs are full of emotion. And I'm so glad that Janita read them to us like that. Because I think to understand them, you have to feel them. And to help us feel them, I hope you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. It tells a fictional story of eight soldiers who were sent to rescue Private Ryan after it's discovered his three other brothers have all been killed in the war. And they travel through enemy lines looking for this this soldier. And some of their own number are shot and killed along the way. And anyway, if you haven't seen the movie, it's a brutal movie. They show the landing on the beaches on on D-Day and uh, people who were there say, yes, that's what it was like. And so you come to the final act of the movie. These remaining eight men, the the six or so that have made it, join with uh, Private Ryan's bunch There's about 20 and they've got to defend this small French village that's been blown to bits. There's a bridge there that will allow the Allies to come in. And they've got limited ammunition, limited everything. The first time I saw this film, you felt the dread. They are just waiting and waiting for the inevitable. Because you saw the opening scene, you know what's going to happen. Blood and guts. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want to watch this. I don't want to see this. But, you know, I'm in the cinema with my girl, so i got to be brave. And then you hear the tanks coming. These three tanks. And these guys have only got rifles. And the rumbling surround sound of the cinema is just horrific. I don't want it to come. This is going to be horrible. And I know this is just a movie. Imagine being in a real war. Imagine the Hebrews as well. Camped out on the shores of the Red Sea. Finally, they think they're free. And over the horizon come the chariots of Israel. Oh, No. Oh, chariots of Egypt. Oh, no. They know what's going to happen. This is going to be a slaughter. They haven't got any weapons. This is going to be the final scene of their movie. No wonder they cry out to Moses, why did you bring us here to die? But God rescues them 
miraculously. It doesn't happen in Saving Private Ryan, by the way, but it would be like God lifting up those tanks and throwing them into the sea. And suddenly these guys are going, yes, the relief, the joy, no casualties. And this fledgling nation, they get a sense of who this God is, who Yahweh is, this new name that they've been given. God has been my defense, my 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 foxhole. We know what that's like, hiding in God when things go wrong. But now he comes to my rescue. God has is not just defense, but offense. He saves us, horse and rider thrown into the sea. And Miriam asks in this in this song, who among the pantheon of gods is like this God? The God of slaves, lost causes and losers. Because that's not what most gods of history have been like. The gods aren't on the side of the slaves. The gods have slaves. The weak for their bidding, cannon fodder for their wars. But not this God. God is a warrior (coughs) because of his unfailing love for his people. Now we remember this isn't an easy love. They'd been slaves for 80 plus years, but God eventually comes through. And this story will put the fear of God into all the other nations as they come to the promised land. Our God is good. Mary's song is the same. Praise this God who lifts up the humble and brings down the proud, who ensures the hungry are fed and the heartless rich go home empty-handed. When was the last time that we were moved like this by our God? Think about This is one of those times when life became a musical, when people broke out in song. Does that happen much anymore? Thinking about AFL, when you win the game, you get to sing. When was the last time you were moved to sing or maybe write poetry? It doesn't have to be good poetry or even good singing. But something so good took place. You were glowing and overflowing. It does happen even from emotionally constipated white people like us. Back uh, when I was in grade five, um, I had a crush on this girl called Michelle. And she was in the park across the road from our house. And I must have been home alone because I got one of the Beatles records and I put it on our stereo and I made the speakers face outside and uh, turned the stereo up to 11 as, as I played. Michelle, my bell, Sunday morning. It must have worked because I'm married to Becky. 
But when was the last time we were moved to sing? We actually come every Sunday, and church is one of the last places where we still sing. Are we singing because it's we're moved by this God? That words alone cannot capture how we feel. Or are we singing because it's just what we do? You were amazing. You did amazing things. There's no one like our God, no one at all. He gave his son for us, Jesus the Lord. Tell out my soul the wonders of the Lord. Oh, that we would know God like that more and more. There are other challenging things about this reading apart from the the challenge to be emotionally alive to God. To have the overflowing joy of the underdog, you have to have spent some time as the dog. To have the overflowing joy of the underdog, you have to have spent some time as the dog. Is that you? You've been down, broken, lost, felt like a loser. The older I get, the more I see how broken, how sinful and how evil our world is. I hear your stories, our community stories of suicide and abuse, cancer and disease. I see how our society embraces and celebrates abortion instead of mourning that we have to come to that. And I cry out with the Hebrews, where are you, Lord? Come, Lord Jesus, fix this world. God still seems to wait a long time. Too long. He lets generations suffer the consequences of the sins that we choose before he intervenes. And we have Bible stories that actually tell us why that is. He's waiting for the weeds to become wheat before he harvests. Because once he harvests, it's too late for the weeds. Don't you know that God's patience is salvation? Peter tells us and Paul tells us that God wants all people to be saved. He's got to give us a chance, a chance to change, to respond to him. He's got to give us a chance to make a difference. Because don't you think father would be prouder of children who fixed up their own mess than children who sat around and waited for dad to come home and do it for them? So the hard news is, it's God's timing. But the good news is, it's God's timing. Another challenge is you don't get to sing unless you've been the underdog. And you don't 
get to be the underdog unless you're under God. If you are the heartless rich, the haughty, the proud, the oppressor, thrown into the sea, thrown into the sea. We know when the church becomes powerful and grasps onto power, that's when we need royal commissions into sexual misconduct. So finally, what are the problems of our day? What are the problems that we are crying out to God for or that we need to cry out to God for? Well, we've got personal problems But we've also got global ones. Ian Campbell named a few a couple of weeks ago. Politicians who've gone stupid. They've traded truth for power as the determiner of what is right in the world. That if you win, then you're right. It doesn't matter what you say. If you lie, if you win, well, that determines that you were right. And that's going back to Roman times when might was right. If I won, then I must have been right. And I tell you, that's not a good place to be. We've got climate change that we're feeling with fires, floods, droughts and storms. The next generation are feeling like there are chariots on the horizon. Climate chariots on the horizon. And I want to say, don't despair. God can bring that throne into the sea moment where our problems can be overcome. When God's children tackle them and then we get to sing again. So, the irony of Christmas, if you want to be on the winning team, Join the losers. Come bow at the manger of a Jewish peasant baby. Come worship the God who throws your sins into the sea as he's crucified on a Roman cross. And if that doesn't make you sing, God help you.